Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. Really looking forward to today's conversation. In just a moment, I'll be joined by a new city council member, Sandy Nurse, who is a Democrat representing District 37 in the New York City Council. That's Brooklyn. That is parts or all of Cypress Hills, Bushwick, Ocean Hill, Brownsville, East New York, and a little bit more. And uh, a very interesting district that has been home to some significant changes, uh, borne the brunt of a number of city crises, uh, a lot going on in the district. But we're also talking with Councilmember Nurse about the fact that she's the new chair of the city council's sanitation committee, a lot going on there. And she uh, ran for office and won, actually defeating a short-term incumbent this past year on a wide-ranging platform, touching on a lot of issues. And we want to get to a few things with her. Uh, she's part of, I don't know that, that this has been officially put together and put out yet, but clearly part of sort of the progressive wing of the city council. So we want to talk with her about that and what the council's dynamics are like and the council relationship with the mayor. So a lot to get to in just a minute with council member Sandy Nurse. Just real quickly, if you've missed any recent episodes of the podcast, find them at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette website. You can catch up on a bunch of recent interesting conversations that I've had with uh, elected officials, advocates, and others at the city level, the state level. We've had some really interesting discussions about a variety of political and policy dynamics. I'll just highlight a couple very recent ones. I recently spoke with uh, State Senator Jessica Ramos of Queens and then State Senator Liz Kruger of Manhattan about things happening at the state level, their priorities, the legislature, the governor, what's happening out of state government right now as we're into the Albany season, budget season session there. Uh, also at the state level, I had a really interesting recent conversation with Doreen Harris, the president and CEO of NYSERDA, which is the state authority that's in charge of implementing a lot of the state's green energy projects. Really fascinating conversation there with Doreen Harris. And then lastly, uh, colleagues of Councilmember Nurse, I gathered uh, a rare occurrence, three guests on the podcast, the, the new council chairs of the committees on health, mental health and hospitals obviously made sense to try to bring them all together to talk about the intersecting overlapping issues related to public health, COVID and much more. So you can find that podcast with city council members, Linda Lee, Mercedes Narcisse and Lynn Shulman also. So that's a smattering of highlights. Uh, you can find any and all of those and, and a bunch of others uh, at Max Politics if you're so inclined. Okay, Council Member Sandy Nurse, a Democrat representing District 37 in Brooklyn. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Big fan. Excited to be here. I appreciate it. So you put out a statement, uh, you know, as many of your colleagues did when it was announced which uh, committee you were going to be chairing about chairing the uh, Sanitation Committee. This is an issue a uh, set of issues really near and dear to you. You've been working in, in uh, these related spaces for a long time. And that, that really caught my eye. I think some of these issues are, are so, so important. They're so fascinating. There's a lot happening to, to discuss. So that was immediately one of the reasons I wanted to reach out and, and have a good conversation with you on that. But then also, obviously, as I said in the intro, you 
have a wide ranging platform you ran on, a lot of different uh, things you're interested in working on. So it's, it's great to catch up with you. So let's start though with uh, chairing this sanitation committee in the city council. Um, tell listeners a little bit about your background and, and why this makes sense for you. Yeah, so I am, I was beyond thrilled to chair sanitation. It was very much, um, it's the perfect fit. Um, the last 12, 13 years of my life, I've been focused on organic waste in the city, particularly here in East New York and the Eastern part of Bushwick, where we didn't have uh, infrastructure or programs for organic waste collections. And so we built a program that was um, piloting, what does it look like to have sustained um, collections here that employs people from the community um, that works to process that material in community and redistribute it in community as part of an overall environmental justice uh, program. And we were really successful. We made use of public land um, and uh, working with organizations. We grew to collecting from small businesses that weren't being captured. So a lot of businesses, a lot of households in our community want to participate in this. It's, it's, it's something they're excited about. It's something that they all recognize as a, a critical step towards addressing the climate crisis and towards um, the city hitting our zero waste goals. Um, and so we were able to really make use of a lot with very little resources. Um, and you know, over the last six years or so, we got really involved in the, the effort to reform the private uh, commercial waste sector. So pushing for the commercial waste zones bill that was passed in 2019. Um, and we played a part in really creating a, a smaller kind of unique sector within um, hauling. So we can go into all of that. It's yeah, very, yeah. very um, heady and detailed and um, logistical. But I'm I'm really excited. It was it was a surprise. I, I didn't think I was going to get the uh, uh -huh. committee of my choice. But um, I see that um, Speaker Adams has really placed uh, a couple a, a, a very good amount of people into committees that will really allow their talents and expertise to to uh, further the goals of the city and the needs that we have. So. Um, it was definitely a very positive development, and I'm so excited to be here uh, well, working on this issue. Well, congratulations on on that. And yes, as I got at you know in my in my last uh, episode of the show here, speaking with three of your colleagues who all make sense for those uh, health and hospitals related committees. So there's there's a lot of good matchups between some of the backgrounds and skills and resumes of of council members and some of the committees they're chairing. It doesn't always line up as well as yours or some of theirs, but. Um, but a lot of them do, uh, which is good. So let's stick with this issue that you've worked on so much on organic waste. Um, you said in, in your statement about being named chair of the, the sanitation committee that, um, that you've visited nearly every waste facility, waste transfer site, organic waste processing and recycling facility in and around New York City. You spent years physically sorting the garbage of small businesses and households in the neighborhoods of North Brooklyn and advocated for, for reforms and changes. Um, the issue of organic waste, and as you said, the city's zero waste goals, we are far from being able to do that. The organic waste uh, recycling processing programs uh, have really not taken off. What has to happen to make that a citywide reality 
how does how does New York City go to a place where organics recycling is just part of city life and is is happening all over the place? It seems to me like this is just for for many many New Yorkers not even on the radar right now. How do we how do we get there? Yeah, and I think it's it's a big challenge. Um, but you know, a, a third of our waste stream is something that can be. Uh, composted or, or the organics waste of our waste stream can be recycled in, and distributed in different ways and has a lot of productive positive uses that are can lend towards other goals, renewable energy goals um, coming from the collection of organic waste solids that are processed at the Greenpoint facility and the biogas that comes from that. So there's a lot of, um, if we can get to the place where we're capturing so much of it, um, it can actually be used in multiple ways to further other goals. Um, so some of the challenges are one, there's public organic waste and private organic waste, and they have very different systems. Um, and, and not all, people don't always realize that. Um, and it's an enormous amount of organic waste that has to be captured. And it's a, a massive logistical operation. So uh, one, you know, you have to give credit to the Department of Sanitation. They have spent a lot of money and time in um, education um, and on the ground in communities, uh, trying to, you know, get people familiar with this, re-familiar with this, making the case of why it's important, um, both from a public health perspective, from a cost perspective, from a climate crisis perspective. Um, but these are, we are a city of, of renters and tenants. And so bringing that down to the household level, um, is really challenging. Um, we also are a city that has chosen not to do use enforcement as a main mechanism, but incentives as a mechanism. So the education piece and trying to be inviting people into the act and the practice of uh, separating food waste and composting versus enforcing with, which they do in, in other places. Um, so I think the, the biggest hurdle is that one, we rolled these programs out in very affluent, wealthy communities um, where it was perceived to be easier. So we didn't put as many resources into the outer boroughs where we could have started from kind of the outer, uh, the outer parts of the city and worked our way in where it was per perceived to be easier. We spent a lot of resources where it was already people were in the choir. Um, and so I think that was a misstep. Um, and I think the effort to really get commercial organics separation happening and collections and mandating businesses to, to compost and, and, and to have carters be able to facilitate that from the private hauling side, that's still even now just being, you know, we had to get the CWZ reform passed. Then we had to spend some time doing the rules. And now we are in the process of getting back the uh, groups that have the private carters who have applied for those RFPs, um, putting their proposals. So we don't even know necessarily what the commercial waste sector is going to look like, um, other than that we do have a commercial organics waste recycling laws that have gone, you know, phased up um, from large, large scale food generators to food waste generators to getting down to smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, but the real, real challenge in organics is it's heavy stuff. Mm. It's, it's, it's the heaviest part of the food waste. Uh, it's heaviest part of the waste stream. So getting the trucks to collect it, 
um, in a in an efficient, logistical, cost-effective way is very, very challenging. Having it um, collected in giant buildings is very, very challenging. You're really relying on building systems, building management companies, landlords to really ensure these practices happen. And, you know, we have so many other issues going on with housing that this is just like adding that layer on is a complete, complete challenge. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the, you know, the main thing is one, we have to not chop this off, right? So when the budget cuts come, we cannot cut back on the work we've already done. Um, and we have to continue to push for, at least in the commercial sector, we really need to push for um, implementation of organic waste recycling at large, large scale. Um, and just as a reminder to export all this waste, it costs us $440 million a year. It's a huge astronomical budget line. So this is a way to... Um, reduce costs is to separate this and get it in the right place. Uh, in terms of why this is so important, uh, we kind of skipped that a little bit, but this is, um, this is reusing uh, household, you know, food scraps in most cases, uh, food waste to return it to the earth and use it versus throwing it in garbage bags and landfills and having it uh, hurt the earth. I mean, is that is that as, as sim simply said as as possible, or what would you add to that? Yeah, I mean, food waste in when we collect it and in landfills, it produces methane gas, which is one of the most um, dangerous greenhouse gases on the planet, and it is an accelerator of climate change. And so, by separating out the the organic waste or food waste or yard waste from the, the the waste stream that is going to landfills, we're able to process that, um, reuse the materials um, for all sorts of projects, uh, soil remediation. So we have an incredible amount of lead and um, toxic minerals in our. Um, local soils here in New York City. So you're able to use that material to replenish that for street tree pits. Um, the compost that is produced from organic waste composting is um, great for stormwater management. So it can help us um, prevent flooding um, in different areas and hot zones. So it's, 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 as I said, it is a generator of many productive benefits when we capture it efficiently and make use of it in the right way. Um, and as I said, it's also a third of the, the waste stream. So it's also a cost-effective management if we're able to not take that material, containerize it and send it to other environmental justice communities. Um, we are doing both an environmental benefit but also a cost benefit here. In terms of expansion of curbside collection, uh, it's now opt-in, uh, it's at uh, seven community board districts in Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Manhattan. Um, you're getting at the question of where it was rolled out, uh, the types of communities, and so forth. And in terms of expansion, um, what do you, do you do? You think this should be as quickly as as the city can ramp it up? That these uh, curbside collections and these offerings are citywide. Is there anything? Uh, that could be a hiccup to that that you foresee other than just sort of the basics of scaling it up. Um, and, and should this be, should there be a timeline pretty soon? And I don't know if this is maybe something that needs to be legislated, but 
should there be a timeline soon for making this citywide and should it be become required? So yes, a universal organics mandate, um, organics recycling and composting mandate, I believe should happen across the public and private waste stream. I think it is, it has to happen. If we don't do this, we are going to continue to pay tons of money to export it. We are going to continue to contribute to the climate crisis and we're going to continue to see litter and trash everywhere. And that's the thing that everyone's complaining about. So we really have to, um, we have to get this right. The, the challenge is, as I mentioned, we haven't invested in the education and awareness in, in all of New York City equitably, right? And we haven't put the infrastructure equitably in New York City. So my community boards, with the exception of a smidge of CB16 and Ocean Hill, we have never had the Brownden program. Mm-hmm. Um, we've always relied on volunteer operations, community group operations, operations previously like mine, where you know the burden of taking care of the waste falls down to community members who just happen to be really excited by this. That's not a sustainable system. Um, we need to, in order to achieve these goals, we need to you know invest in our waste workers. We need to invest in the infrastructure and the types of contracts that allow organizations and companies to invest in heavy duty processing. Um, this, this is a cost, uh, a cost heavy type of industry um, waste, you know, waste in general is. So there's a lot of things that need to fall in place. At the same time, at the same time, there's a, a, a number of new ideas about, you know, how waste gets handled um, uh, in terms of whether in commercial corridors we have centralized waste stations, as people are calling it, containerized waste. Um, whether we um, swap, you know, swap out uh, the number of landfill pickups with the number of organic waste and recycling pickups. There's a lot of different ideas that are coming all at once. And in order to create that perfect system where we're able to offer the infrastructure, the servicing, um, and the efficient logistics at a cost point, um, we have to kind of land on a couple different things. Um, but I do think if we if we can hold the North Star and the framework of every single person in the city should be able to access and should be required to, um, you know, source separate, separate their organics and their recycling and their landfill trash, um, that can be, you know, the thing that we're moving towards. It's challenging. I mean, we have less than 20% recycling rates um, and we've been recycling for over, you know, over two decades. So mm-hmm. we have real big challenges in a, in a giant city with the behavioral issues with the way people interact with waste. Um, and then we also have challenges of so much stuff being put in the waste stream and very little responsibility from the producers of that and that being corporations. Um, and, you know, essentially, you know, we have uh, an unlimited free utility of, of waste collection that's given to people. The governor, um, not to get too sidetracked on this, but the governor had a proposal in her state of the state policy book about uh, uh, extended producer responsibility. Uh, is that something you you noted and, and would support? I didn't look at all the details of what that proposal would entail, but I know in the mayoral campaign, this was something that Catherine Garcia, the former sanitation commissioner who came in second in the primary, uh, talked about as well about the need for um you know, holding those those larger producers responsible for for the waste um, is that something you've you've looked at at the state or city level? 
Yeah. And it's something that's really worked in some other cities. Seattle has a really interesting model um, when it comes to bottles and cans. I think we need to, the private sector, that is, they are producing all of this stuff and they don't have to have responsibility for the end cycle or the end life of these products they produce. They need to, we need to um, build in responsibility for that. We have an unlimited burden on the public waste sector to take care of all of the trash that comes from all of these products. It, it's, it's almost a subsidy to these companies to be able to say, it doesn't matter what you produce, the city will take care of all of it. It's, it's, it's actually not right. And I think this is a great thing that um, should happen. I think, um, you know, in talking with some of the different waste advocates, there's a few sticking points that I think um, if worked out, this would be a huge win for the environmental justice movement and, and certainly for those who are pushing for waste equity and, and zero waste. And in, in that way, you'd be incentivizing uh, companies and, and producers of materials to cut back on how much they're putting out into the world for consumption. It, it could be a number of different things. Mm-hmm. It could be that they are supporting um, or using some of their profits to, uh, for example, have a fund, a collection site where uh, canners are bringing material back and, and that's paid for by the company. Um, there could be a different model where uh, companies are incentivized to use less packaging in their product or to use um, plastic that is recyclable with the, with the type of facilities that are most common to municipalities. So a lot of um, plastic material is actually not recyclable. It, it, right. You have to really know the difference. And if we're requiring certain businesses to to use the things that are the type of material that's recyclable at what is most often in a municipal recycling facility, it goes a long way towards actually ensuring that that happens. Mm -hmm. And I I can't get over that most, if not all pizza boxes are not recyclable. That seems like that seems like an easy one that there should be some, some kind of requirement to get the pizza boxes to be cardboard recyclable. I don't know how that hasn't been done. Yet. It's, 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 and it's a, it's a thing that, you know, soiled, soiled paper material is not recyclable and yeah. it's a shame, but it is compostable. So you could, okay. you could hundred uh, percent compost that soiled pizza box because it's just oil on it. Right. Um, and cardboard is a, is a great uh, added ingredient for for organics recycling. Okay, okay, learning. I'm learning here. Um, the pizza box thing has been bothering me for very, a for a long time. You know, it's like I want to re- I want to recycle this cardboard thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as far as I'm concerned, whether we're talking about traditional recycling or we're talking about now adding in the organics recycling, um, I don't know how you really get anywhere. Uh, you know in any type of even semi-aggressive timeline without a a huge push on both education, I should say all of the education, access, and enforcement. I don't know how you do it without all three of those. Um, Am I wrong that enforcement, even at the sort of business and household level, really needs to be part of the equation? Even our current recycling requirements don't seem to be enforced. Um, you know, you mentioned enforcement earlier. What, how do you feel? You know, I mean, 
you're, you're obviously, you're, you know, you're sort of politics generally, you don't want to add fees and fines to people. I know that, you know, especially just regular everyday people uh, who, who don't, you know, have money to afford extra fines about whether they've recycled their cans or whatever it might be. But um, how, how does that not a big piece of the equation, in, at least at some timeline here? Yeah. And I mean, it, and it's different for the public and the private sector. So I think for the private sector, you know, certainly as they've rolled out commercial organics recycling, there's been a lot of success. Like giant stadiums are composting. Um, we've Dunkin' Donuts even doing that in some degrees um, and recycling. Um, there are the commercial organics recycling law has come into effect and it has been successful. I think as we start to get down to um, you know, as we get down to the types of businesses that are smaller, there's more of them versus these larger, you know, convention centers and stadiums. There's less of those. So you can concentrate a lot of attention and enforcement resources on that. But now when we're expanding to, you know, every storefront that's on a street, we're talking about an incredible amount of, of activity. And I think that we have to look at how the commercial waste zones roll out. So the idea behind that was that uh, you know, creating, breaking up New York City into a bunch of zones, having a smaller number of carters serve those zones creates more accountability. So for example, you know, if you have only three carting companies servicing a zone, um, there's more accountability from the city to say, look, you know, you have this zone and these are particular corridors or particular areas where we're seeing issues um, and you can really zone in on more. Uh, focus in on that more versus what we could do now, which is that you could have, you know, 20 or 17 companies servicing the same block. Um, the accountability is just completely lost. You get more cost savings. So for a, for a private company to send a truck that takes in organics to only, you know, five or 10 businesses in a neighborhood and then go to Park Slope where they may be getting 20, to going up to the Bronx where they have another, it's it's not enough volume in the truck to cover the payload of that truck. So you need to create density in the collections. So if you have a smaller number of carters in a zone, there is one, the efficiency in, in the density of collections. So a whole block might have a particular carter or a, a giant part of the neighborhood might have a particular carter, which means that organics truck can get filled up and there's a payload associated to it. So there's, there's a lot of different um, things that are gonna come online as the CWZ really starts to get into effect in, in rolling where we'll be able to see those things become easier versus right now, it, it, just, it, it literally doesn't make any sense for how to weave together organics um, into the small business world of, of trash collections. So I'm really hopeful and, and I'm really excited. And I think DSNY is, is, is really wanting this. Um, so I think there's just a, a lot of, a lot more work to get done before we see that take effect this year. Interesting. Yeah, so um, speaking of DSNY, the Department of Sanitation, I got some, uh, some great updates from them ahead of this conversation so that I know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. And I mentioned, yeah. I mentioned on composting that there's, it's opt-in in seven community board districts in Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Manhattan at this point. Uh, DSNY also, uh, you know, let, let me know that um, they're, they're past their goal of 200 food scrap drop-off sites across the city. 
and, uh, and they're piloting some smart compost bins in lower Manhattan and Astoria to see if, if those make sense for the future. So there's a couple other updates on the composting side, on the commercial waste zones, which you just got at, that process is moving forward. The zones have been chosen. Uh, those are available on the, on the sanitation website. And uh, the city is in the midst of selecting the companies that will win the uh, request for proposals to, to move ahead with that. So as you said, that's, that's really moving ahead uh, this year, uh, it looks like. So right. we'll, know, we'll know a lot more about the commercial waste zones in the near I future. Just, yeah, Go I ahead. just wanted to add that, sure. you know, even though the kind of the residential public sector organics is happening, it, it will be it will be the the thing up at the chopping block for the budget if mm. if we don't rally to protect it. Um, and that's where the piece around, you know, really getting the public to to have, you know, to say that they need this and, and for the city to really connect the dots that we have to invest in this. If we don't invest in this, we're going to pay for it. We're going to keep paying for it every year down the line at the expense of other things. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it is moving and there's been a lot of success. The pandemic really just put, you know, um, put the really put a wedge in everything, but we really have to push hard to ensure that this doesn't get dropped um, come the negotiations this year. Yeah, and, and we saw that happen, obviously, uh, two budgets ago. Um, all right, we got to talk about the, you, you mentioned it, uh, we got to talk about the waste containerization issue. This is, I've seen you tweet about this, uh, as many others do, these giant piles of trash on the sidewalks of New York City, sometimes spilling over into the street. Uh, driving lots of people trying to just walk around the city crazy, obviously smelly, obviously encourages the rat population. I think for anybody sort of thinking about this, paying attention to it, the current system just doesn't make sense. Um, there is a containerization pilot for uh, some commercial business improvement districts. I've got some issues as I know others do with the design of this pilot, um, which, you know, really relies on the business improvement districts to to sort of create their own uh, system and their own and get their own bins and things like that. I believe so. There's some questions there, but it, it is a first step. What is your vision for this issue? Are we should we be a city heading towards waste containerization on virtually every block of the city, or uh, somewhere in between where we are now with basically none? And that? Well, the answer is it's not a one size fits all. That's mm -hmm. for sure. And it never is in New York City. Every, every borough and, every, and even within boroughs, there are different, different design types and prototypes. And there's just different topography of a lot of different places that need different types of infrastructure. But I think in general, we should be moving towards uniformity within waste infrastructure as visual cues. Um, for people to know um, that these things are happening. So as a, as a, uh, a goal and as a, a place to get to, containerized waste, I think, would make our streets safer, um, more aesthetically uh, pleasing. Um, I think it will encourage better behavior. And I think it will um, make uh, collections and servicing more efficient. 
So as a concept, I think it's the right direction. The way it gets brought down to the ground, I think is challenging. Um, there are different ways that people are gonna interact with that. Um, there's the challenge of, you know, where does it go? Um, is it on the sidewalk or do we remove two cars, you know, from the street? Um, what does it look, it might be different in the commercial sector, uh, on commercial corridors versus what it looks like in residential side streets. Um, one of the things that um, sticks out from what the commissioner said yesterday was, uh, you know, someone who needs to bring a mattress down. Um, how does the mattress go in that? And, and so there's a lot of um, things that need to be studied about how people will interact with this. I think piloting is the way to go. And I think we should pilot a lot more stuff with waste. And I think we should um, encourage and fight for the funding to do that because there's a lot of innovation that can be used. Um, whether it be, um, you know, a, in, in different countries, they have an entire waste station that will happen. Um, and for example, if you're in an uh, apartment complex, like a NYCHA style development where you might have a station that has a lot of uh, a lot of different types of infrastructure, maybe it's even staffed certain hours to support people. Um, those, those are models that exist in other countries. Um, but I think the main point is that we're gonna need to spend a lot of time understanding how people will interact with this and we won't know. We won't know all the things we need to to problem solve for until they're in practice in motion. And the other thing I, I really feel very strongly about is that as we're piloting these things, we can't do what we did with the brown bin program. We have to start in the outer boroughs. We have to start where we are um, cash poor districts, uh, working class districts. Um, there is this perception that we can't start in these places. And I, I really want to push back against that as, a, as a, a framework for how we roll things out. I think we should be starting in the outer boroughs and working our way in um, and have a couple different places. You might need the, the stuff that's needed in Manhattan, where you have you know, thousands and thousands of tourists walking and making use of street corridors every day is very different from uh, outer borough. Um, even commercial corridors don't have that much volume of people, but we still need to try out these things in both. Um, mm -hmm. So in general, I, I, I think that as, as always, I think the burden of um, thinking through these things, it needs to be in partnership with a lot of different stakeholders. Um, but I do think that we are moving in the right direction. I think most people recognize that 50 bags of, of black trash on the uh, black uh, bags of trash on the sidewalk doesn't work. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a rodent attractant. It, um, it's just gross. Mm -hmm. And there's no need for it. We are one of the we are one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Um, we have some of the smartest people working for the city of New York. There is no reason why we can't overcome this challenge. We just have to make it a priority. And I think right now, given that every district got hit hard by these sanitation cuts, I do think that there is just an outcry against the garbage. I think there's a real strong window of opportunity to generate some momentum to say like, we're not ever doing cuts again to sanitation, no matter what the crisis is. And we're gonna overinvest in these things because this is gonna contribute to the sense of well-being for people in their own neighborhoods. So uh, bottom line from your perspective right now on waste containerization is get some more pilots out there, get into the outer boroughs with some pilots on outer borough uh, commercial strips, on outer borough residential blocks, and let's just, let's experiment and see what could work and keep keep working through the issues that might pop up. Is that 
a fair way yeah. to summarize? Yeah, but and we're, I think we're in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, the Department of Sanitation told me this week that at the beginning of this year, they hired a project manager for public space initiatives who's going to lead this containerization pilot and implement uh, these, what they're calling clean curbs installations in some commercial and residential waste areas um, and that and that this is all all being discussed and looked at and and the initial containerization pilot is being again going through the procurement process um, and will be will be one in a series of pilots that's coming through as you just got at um, and also uh, there are new rules that have come down from the Department of Sanitation around new residential developments with 150 plus units so uh, there's new rules around the, the bigger residential developments that are going up and needing to put forward a waste management plan uh, to the Department of Buildings and, and looking at what that looks like. So there is a lot of movement there. So you mentioned this. Um, I meeting with this oh, yeah, I please. I want to add one other thing about that um, and, and something that's kind of exciting and that's happening both. So in large scale buildings, whether they're residential or commercial, um, the use of there's been a lot of. Um, technological developments and improvements on machines. So there's um, composting machines that exist in the world um, that can you know, process, devolumize, dehydrate, um, you know, up to a ton of material a day. Um, and those are things that are being piloted right now by smaller enterprises in loading docks of commercial buildings. So they, they almost become like a mini, um, a mini processing hub. So they're, they're either material is devolumized and then, you know, Carter picks it up, but we're talking about reducing the weight of material by 90% because food waste in organics is mostly water. So mm -hmm. if you are, if you go through a giant uh, commercial building in Midtown and you pull all the organics waste and say you have a um, thousand pounds of that, you pop it through a machine, what comes out is about 120 pounds. Um, we're, that's, that is something that I personally would like to see um, the city look at more. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of openness and piloting also within sanitation around this. Interesting. I'll also note on this issue of containerization, obviously, like everything else, as you got at a lot of the complications, there's even more because we obviously are also talking about a municipal labor force. We're talking about a municipal a fleet uh, you know, what does that look like? How do you transition? There's obviously transitions happening in the sanitation fleet already towards electric vehicles, but how do you, if you wanted to do bins and containerization all over the city, you have to transition towards vehicles that can pick up the bins and, and tip them over into the trucks. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there to obviously save uh, both injuries and, and uh, you know, risk to sanitation workers uh, but also just, you know, their, their general well-being, uh, their backs, their knees, and so forth. But you also get into questions around all new dynamics in the labor contract with them around, uh, you know, everything that would go into a new system like containerization. So there's a, a lot to, a lot to consider there. Yeah, but there's um, no shortage of work around waste. Um, and, and, and I, I oh, that was one of the first things I thought of earlier when yeah. you were talking about organics was like, oh, this is another, no. job. you know, there's another job. There's so many jobs in waste. Right. And, and, and I, you know, for me, you know, the work I've been doing over the last 12 years is really about elevating the waste worker as 
one of the most essential workers in this city. I mean, if if the any if a sanitation strike ever happened, we'd be in some serious trouble, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it is. It's it's so important that both the public and the private sanitation workers um, are paid well and they're taken care of and they have safety conditions and trainings in their place. And um, there's a real disparity between the two workforces um, that the CWZ attempted to get at. But all that to say, there's plenty of work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, good point. Good point. So you you just hinted at this. People might not even have caught it, but uh, we're talking here on Friday, February fourth. On Thursday, February third, you met with Sanitation Commissioner uh, Ed Grayson. Any highlights coming out of that meeting? Anything you want you know New Yorkers to know here? Uh, people who are listening about um, you know that meeting? Things you went over that we haven't talked about. We've obviously talked about a few of the big you know, sort of important issues around uh, sanitation and waste, but not nearly everything. Any any key issues that came up in the meeting? Uh, anything you agreed to sort of touch base on again soon or, or you know, push forward on, et cetera? Anything, any highlights you want to point out? Uh, so it was my first time meeting the commissioner, actually, and I, I was incredibly impressed by him. And, you know, it seems like he's got this sanitation running through his veins. He was so passionate and knowledgeable of everything. And um, someone who's come up through the ranks and has a lot of family history in in waste and sanitation. So it's really exciting to, you know, to think about, you know, him as a partner with this committee. Um, And I think, you know, the one thing that I think is very exciting with with the members of this committee and where we're at now, as a body in the council is just how, just how many members wanted to be on this committee, how many members are, no one is begrudgingly here. Mm-hmm. These are folks who are all excited and interested and have ideas. Um, and really, you know, I think generally uh, are folks who want to geek out on this stuff. So I, I think that's um, something that we, we were able to convey uh, well, and I think that, you know, where, you know, again, like the goals of where we're trying to go, there's so much alignment, like everybody wants this, the, uh, everybody wants a, a zero waste city, everybody wants a, a city with clean streets and, um, you know, basins that are uh, draining well, because there's no litter in it and commercial corridors that are just you know, lovely to be in and, and, and not having mountains of trash. We all want those things. Um, it is really about the, the challenge about waste is so enormous. Um, it requires an intense amount of resources. And it's, there are a number of different strategies. You know, it's not a one shot fits all for almost every part of it. And so everything has to, because of how costly it is to make investments and stuff, you have to do it in these piecemeal ways to make sure it works. Because when you go for the full thing, it's so expensive. If it fails, it's 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 catastrophic. So, mm-hmm. um, the things that you know, the takeaways from that is that I think people are really excited to work together. I'm super excited to work with um, the commissioner and their team, and I and I think they're excited to work with us. And there's alignment on a lot of goals. It's just a question of one foot in front of the other. Um, how do we get there? How do we walk to those goals every day? And uh, we're in our last few minutes here with City Council Member Sandy Nurse of, of Brooklyn, uh, the chair of the New York City Council Sanitation Committee, new council member, 
uh, newly chairing this committee, uh, sharing a lot of thoughts about issues that are related to the committee's work and her past work uh, and, and what's up ahead here for these very important issues that often don't get enough attention, but you know, they do get attention as you're getting at with the members of your committee. Uh, one of the first things we've seen from some new city council members is all these announcements about you know, trash pickup in their districts. This was obviously uh, a huge issue over the last couple of years with budget cuts as you've gotten at. It's an issue because people's patterns have changed during COVID of all this work from home and, and you know, so, so many shifts in how people live and work in the city that you know, we've also seen while there's been uh, city budget cuts around sanitation and restorations of those cuts and all different things, you know, we've also seen these different needs emerge and, and it's been a very interesting atmosphere around all these issues. Everything is basic of like, when are the corner bins getting emptied to you know, these larger policy changes and, and safety and, and all these things. Um, all right, let me, let me ask you a couple uh, quick final things here. Um, just lastly on chairing this committee, any first oversight hearing that you're planning, anything we should look forward to here in terms of the committee's work, whether it's oversight or a piece of legislation that you're planning to you know, first prioritize? So I, in, in approaching this, I really want it to be collaborative and, and you know, I, I think it's really important to get the priorities of the other members of the committee. So that's what we've been doing is, you know, what are your priorities? What, do you, what are your big ideas? Um, and collecting them and, you know, we can't just call a big meeting because then we'd have a hearing. So we'd have to, you know, it takes time to get these things generated. And we're, I'm hoping that it would be great to have a first hearing at the end of February or potentially in the first part of March because of the time it takes to get them scheduled. But I would love to get um, in the next week or so our priorities out in the world of like, these are the things that we, there's strong alignment on, um, but I would say that, you know, I think the, the biggest challenge in front of us is if the mayor is calling for 3% cuts across all these agencies, um, what does that even look like for sanitation that was already cut? Um, well, and, and this is obviously going to soon be preliminary budget uh, hearings. You know, the mayor is going to put out his preliminary budget very soon. And then that will lead into council hearings on that preliminary budget. So there will definitely be a hearing on that. Uh, yeah. So, that, that yeah, so we, we need to just get, get our priorities and, and, and look at what we can do this year. And, and what are, is it a couple of things we can do or is it um, more, than, more than not? And looking at, you know, the thing is, DSNY has had a strategic plan in place. There's new ones that they are, you know, the solid waste management plan is something that's gonna be developed. Um, their strategic plan, all of that stuff is, it's, we're at the, the time period where the new plans are being, are the process of the new plan is going to start now. Um, and so that's something we'll need to be, you know, really involved in. Um, but I think right now we're just trying to get a sense of what do these members see as, as big, big things we can accomplish together. Mm -hmm. All right, interesting. Uh, let me ask you one final question, shifting gears a little bit, but it is related to the city budget. Um, I wanted to get to a whole bunch of other stuff with you, but we really, you know, sort of nerded out on the sanitation. Sorry, stuff, I'm like the no, worst person to ask waste. I'm like, how long do you want to talk for? <laughs> me, me, no, no, me too. I wanted to get into all this, so I'm glad we did. Um, it's budget related, but it's also, you know, a, a key focus issue for you beyond what we've talked about uh, connected, which is 
public safety policing, I, 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 you know, forgive me for only giving us the last couple of minutes on this, but since it is about to be budget season and you have been a leader in the movement to uh, move money from the NYPD elsewhere, I wanted to ask you one question about how you are approaching that and, and getting a sense of the city council dynamics around you know, your your city council platform, uh, you know, you you called for $3 billion removed from the NYPD divesting from the PD budget to reinvest in other services, as you put it, to create public health and safety. Is that sort of still your, your individual goal that you're bringing to the council discussion around the city budget as we do enter city budget season here? Yeah, so I, I am in the camp of a, a reinvestment strategy. I am in the camp of asking for a just budget and fighting for a just budget. And by that, what I mean is um, creating the budget that we need to achieve public safety. And, and as I said in my statement around the sanitation chair, um, which I think you know mentioned you caught your eye, I believe something like sanitation, we should not be cutting sanitation if we're trying to get to public safety. Um, when we did surveying uh, for my campaign and we asked people what was the number one thing that made them feel unsafe, it was their garbage not being picked up. Um, and so that to me is a clear indication that when we're talking about what makes people feel good in their community, it's not always coming from um, a police officer. And I say that as someone who grew up in a domestic violence household, we had cops at my house all the time. It didn't stop my mom from getting her, getting beat up. We had, um, you know, I've, I've survived gun violence. You know, there, as, as the mayor has kind of built this frame of, as this mayor has come into this talking set of talking points around prevention and intervention, um, the interventions in my lifetime have not worked um, for preventing a crime from happening or preventing harm from happening. So when I'm talking about a just budget and we're talking about reinvestment, we're talking about what are, what are the, uh, where do we need to put money to prevent that? So we're talking about social services. We're talking about health and mental health. We're talking about quality of life issues, about how, what does it mean to move around your neighborhood? What does it mean to get up and down in the train platforms? Um, where are the lights in your community? How long are you waiting for a bus outside late at night? These are things that are not involving um, the traditional policing methods that, uh, you know, Republicans of the past time or, you know, Democrats at the national level kind of drill into. Um, these are uh, very nitty gritty um, anti-poverty investments in services and programs that actually create safety with young people, with elders, with women. And I think that, uh, you know, I feel very encouraged by the this council. I, I feel that most people are saying the exact same thing. We are talking about um, <laughs> the intervention is uh, adjusting the budget to prevent harm. Um, harm in the household, harm in the community, harm at the citywide level. So uh, I feel, People are really clear on that, and I will, and I very much credit that to the uprising that happened in 2020, to the uh, the last four or five years that has come out of um, different groups like the Movement for Black Lives and, and the national dialogue that's been happening around policing. We have been very clear about where resources should be spent that could um, prevent violence and all sorts of harms uh, to people, and so I, I'm really hoping that. 
we spend, you know, I'm not here to sit here and spend time fighting with the mayor on uh, certain things. I'm here to really um, encourage and support the areas where we agree, which is the investments in, in young people and the investments in our community and our services that will um, prevent harm. And hopefully that is something that we can really beef up in terms of um, the, the advocacy work around that and that within the council, we can organize ourselves around this when it comes to the budget fight. All right, well, we're gonna leave it there. One of the, one of the key aspects of, of what's coming up, of course, is that um, at, at, you know, in, in some respects, uh, the city has, has basically has the, has the money for just about everything that everybody wants. So there might be fewer, fewer fights this time around. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see what shape those conversations take. Obviously, uh, the mayor is 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 not someone who uh, who wants to remove funding from from the police department to invest in other things. He wants to invest in other things as well, right? So, uh, it will be interesting to see where that discussion heads, and and also uh, the budget discussion around your committee and and much else. Any final thoughts, uh, Councilmember Nurse, that on anything I just said, or or anything else that you want to? Anything I would say. The only thing I would say is, you know, I think a key piece of the budget fight needs to be transparency. So um, what does the police budget look like? Um, can we get a line by line reading of that? I mean, that would be a great oversight piece. That would be a great thing that we could get um, to actually look at if everybody's being asked to make cuts. Let's let's dig into it more. Um, let's find out where money's really being spent and where we need to actually invest. I, I, I just. I feel like we we have these conversations without the, the, the nitty gritty details of how much are we actually spending on this or that? Mm -hmm. um, and what has been the effectiveness per line item or per, per program um, uh, to, to make an informed decision? And I think right now we're kind of stuck in the in, in a uh, either or red baited um, space and it's it's not helpful and it's not productive and it's and it's not actually furthering the goals of creating a city budget that really meets the needs of New Yorkers. Well, you're getting at a couple very key points there, which is sometimes we get some very big uh, lump sums of spending at the PD and and many other uh, agencies, and we don't get uh, all the details and we also don't get the connection to uh, program effectiveness. So we'll. We'll be watching to see how much those discussions sharpen under the new council and uh, hopefully council member Justin Brandon, who chairs the finance committee will uh, will be hearing this and, and adjusting things and we'll be catching up with him sometime soon. And other council members who are chairing uh, committees and, and co chairing these budget hearings. City Council Member Sandy Nurse uh, representing District 37 in Brooklyn, Cypress Hills, Bushwick, Ocean Hill, Brownsville, East New York. Uh, thank you so much for, for taking all this time to discuss these issues and we'll be looking forward to catching up more in the future. Thank you, Ben, really appreciate it.